Hello and welcome to the new episode of Supply Cast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today I am talking to Tracy Crammond um, and Tracy is at NHS Shared Business Services. Um, Tracy, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Um, first of all, what exactly is your role at NHS Shared Business Services? What have they got you doing over there? I am a commercial advisor. I look mm-hmm. after the North East, Yorks and Humber and the East of England. However, I have been moved into some special projects that I have a very good and deep understanding of, more, more around the patient safety element. Okay. So that's what I do. And I understand that you're originally from South Africa. I'm originally, I'm originally from County Durham. I was born in concert right. and okay. moved to Africa ah, okay. in, in 1971. Mm-hmm. So I spent a very long time in Africa, 35 plus years mm-hmm. um, in Zambia and Malawi and ultimately ended up in South Africa, returning to the UK in 2001. Why did you return to the UK then? Was it to do with work was it coming back to family it was potentially to give my my children the opportunities mm-hmm. they may not have got staying in south africa the political unrest etc mm-hmm. so it was just to give my children a sort of launch pad into an, a, a much deeper educational platform so how did you come to be what you're doing now and where you're working now in connected with the nhs well, I've worked in private sector for over 30 odd years um, mm-hmm. with some very big multinationals, the likes of Colgate-Palmolive, NAMPAC. I came back to the UK and I actually joined a well-known telecoms organisation called NTL. Yeah. And they then merged with TeleWest. Mm-hmm. And I found myself back on the market because with mer- most mergers, you've got two yeah. lots of employees and you need to kind of scale it up back a little. Um, yeah, and then I worked for an organisation to do specifically to do a business improvements project. Did it so well they sold the business, so I was then back on the market. And I actually didn't know particularly what I wanted to do from there. Saw myself through the Christmas, then I found an opportunity to join the NHS mm-hmm. on a more, more around a temporary basis, really. However, I've never ever took a temp assignment on where I've had an hour and a half interview and three panellists. <laughs> was it like The Apprentice? Yeah, it felt a little bit like that. It almost felt like I was working for the secret service of, of some sort. <laughs> However, I joined the NHS initially on a temporary basis and um, progressed through the ranks to a senior procurement officer mm-hmm. role. Um, and then within that, a couple of Years later, the Scan for Safety program was announced by the Department of Health at that time, mm-hmm. and North Tees and Hartlepool were chosen as one of the um, successful demonstrator sites that would receive some funding to prove the concept of Scan for Safety. And that's when I became really excited, and I was seconded onto the Scan for Safety program at that time. So you've done a quite brilliant segue for me there into into what the main kind of uh, meat of this podcast was going to be. And it was to ask you about Scan for Safety. Um, We won a poll on the HCSA Mm -hmm. Twitter account on a weekly basis, and we did one on Scan for Safety. 
Um, and what was quite interesting, it, it, it was it was built around, you know, where are you with Scan for Safety? How developed are you in terms of it? It was quite a mixed bag in terms of what we got back in terms of how far along people were, if they were along at all, and and that and that kind of thing. I guess is that a fair? Would that have been a fair representation of what you tend to find in terms of how people are with their Scan for Safety initiatives? I think so, very much so. I think there are very much there are front runners that are very keen and see the real value of Scan for Safety. It's potentially one of the greatest projects the NHS has ever rolled out. It's just a little sad that it hasn't gained the traction and acceleration. I think, you know, there's, there's this myth that financially organisations can't afford Scan for Safety. But I think there's, there's a little misunderstanding of what Scan for Safety really looks like in their organisations. Because many of them may not recognise that they're already on the journey. They just right. need to be showcased as to how that is presented and what it looks like. So why do you think there's that misunderstanding? I mean, why, why do you think it's there? Well, patient safety clearly is the, at the very forefront, and that has been very evident of late. It is the most important thing in any NHS organisation. However, to enable that to, to take place, there's a number of things that, that we need to start looking at and evolving within the NHS. And that's digital transformation. Now, in most hospital organisations, most care settings, digital technology is certainly the way forward to enable us to improve visibility of what we're doing with our patients, tracking and tracing what we're doing with our patients, and being able to audit end-to-end patient care. Who did what to whom? Who was in that, in that environment when something perhaps didn't go according to plan? What can we learn from it? And if we're not using the health tech to be able to improve what we're doing with our patient care, in most work plans within a health organisation, digital transformation or digital projects are littered throughout their plans for the next year, 12 months, five-year plan. And it's how they look at that and how they, they incorporate the scan for safety track and tracing of patient care within the digital technology they tend to roll out and deploy across their organisations. Has it been, as someone, you, you're obviously very passionate about this, has it, is it frustrating? Has it been tra- frustrating trying to get the message across at times? I think it's not only frustrating for myself personally. I'm super passionate about the patient safety element of the programme. Mm. I truly believe it's got massive legs to make a massive difference to the patient experience. Track and traceability and the deployment of um, global standards to track and trace anything is is evident in the retail world. We saw this a, a good number of years ago when we had the horse meat scandal. Within two and a half hours, these major supermarket chains could pull that product out of absolutely every location. That's just not possible in the healthcare environment because we don't have a handle on what products are in our in our pathways what products are moving through the healthcare environment, how do we store them, what does that look like, how do we manage to do a product recall successfully, how long does it take. I mean, the PIP implant scenario is very um, sort of evident that we didn't get it very well, get it right. Um, The metal-on-metal hip implants, another scenario that didn't go down particularly well and wasn't managed perhaps as well as we could have done. And I do think that the deployment of an adoption of GS1 or any other global standard in, in the environment is an 
absolute must for our healthcare colleagues. It not only does it protect the, the patient, it also aids the clinicians to know what they're doing with their products and how, how they can better manage their patient care delivery. So I just do think that we need to learn from the best in class. Retail do it exceptionally well. However, if you drop a tin of beans on a supermarket floor, no one's going to particularly be bothered. They'll just no. put them on the, you know, the, the rack where it's reduced because the tins are slightly bent. But if you drop a patient, it's a much bigger impact. And I do think we've got a responsibility to make sure that our patients have the very, very best care and the very best experience possible. And we actually can be able to evidence what we're doing with our patients. Now, not just in healthcare, but obviously, um, you, you know, healthcare is of, of the primary interest here, but there's uh, concerns in, in quite a few industries, and I guess healthcare wouldn't be any different, that because mm -hmm. of the nature, and I don't want to go deeply into COVID-19, because as I said before we were just off air, it's easy to make it dominate everything you talk about. But from the point of view of Scam Stacey, is there a concern for you that, as has happened, as a lot of industries have been concerned about, especially with anything that involves digital transformation, that the COVID-19 thing can, because of the concern, the all-encompassing concern over that, that it might make certain things fall off the agenda of organisations and that one of them might be scammed for safety, potentially. I think Is that concern? COVID, I would expect that COVID has not mm. only given impetus to the scan for safety program in fact i think it's probably brought it right up front and center stage because that's where it should be mm -hmm. i know of an, a customer of mine one a very a trust that i work with quite closely um, they were asked to do a product recall very recently on ventilators mm -hmm. they managed to do that very successfully identify the where those defected products were in their trust in 39 minutes they were also able to withdraw all of those products and replace them in 12 hours. And they were also able to give back over 50 hours of clinical time to care instead of looking for these particularly faulty devices. So that proved in the COVID scenario how valuable scan for safety and tracking and tracing your products, your assets, your patients is critical. It's almost potentially a proving ground for those people who may be I, you know, there obviously are some people that are still um, waiting to be convinced, as you say, of it being worth them donating the time and resources towards. So you think that COVID-19 could almost be a proving ground, for example, of how this works? Absolutely. Look at the PPE scenario. Mm. It, it, it's put an incredible pressure not only on the patient care, it's put incredible pressure on our procurement colleagues trying to secure those rather huge volumes of product that weren't available or perhaps were available, but we didn't know where they were. Mm. Products being delivered to, to organisations that, number one, didn't order them, didn't need them, but somebody else did and they got missed off the list. I think there's been an absolute eye-opening of why scan for safety and tracking and tracing products through our healthcare environment is crucial to knowing what we've got, where it should be. You know, we can't, hospital environments can't stockpile all of this product because they, number one, have need patient spaces. They can't keep filling them up with PPE and any other products that they, they need to order just in time rather than just in case. And Scan for Safety will certainly go a very long way to healthcare organisations being able to better manage 
their products that they have in their organizations, where they are, when, and to do auto replenishing and working like, you know, private sector, global industries that work very effectively on that just in time um, mode of production. Healthcare is a production line, they have very good practices that we could learn a lot from. I mean, it's definitely been a theme, hasn't it, in the last few years about, in particular, um, learning off retail in terms of procurement um, and, and taking that kind of uh, applying it to healthcare. And it certainly seems to come mm-hmm. up that you're talking about the ability of scan for safety there to identify and pull um, products that um, have an issue over efficacy. And certainly one of the things that's come out of COVID-19 is so many stories about masks and even allowing for the fact that obviously because of the nature of COVID-19, there's been an extra, how would you put it, um, haste in which everything's had to be done. Um, but there's obviously been a lot of stories about items coming in that masks, gowns, for example, that, that aren't fit for purpose, essentially. So you very much feel that that's where Scan for Safety play, is playing a role here or should be playing a role. With that in mind, do you have a goal of where you would like Scan for Safety be in, to be in the next, in terms of how mature it is within organisations in the NHS in the next, say, year, two years? I would certainly expect that due to the very fact that all of the acute hospitals have already GS1 membership, they also have a bank of global location numbers that they can deploy throughout their organisations. So I would expect and I would hope that at least the acutes will lead the way. There are some fantastic, don't get me wrong, there's some, the six demonstrator sites are still doing some really amazing work. They're developing new tools for patient care that the work is phenomenal. And there are others that are following, you know, we've got a a couple of significant trusts that are also well down the the road to their scan for safety journey. But scan for safety is not a a quick put it in and those those that early initial project is done and dusted. It's an Mm. evolving program. It will continue to evolve and improve patient care forevermore. But I would expect that in the next 12 months, I, I would like to see the acutes leading the way and that they're all at least embarking on their journey or those that are already quite mature in this area have moved on to prove what the next best yeah. cases are within their organisations and sharing that best practice throughout their regional you know, care settings. We need to start working together, really. Yeah. It'd be interesting to run that that poll again in maybe a year's time and see what see what the difference is comparing them. Okay, that's that's great. I just wanted to um, touch a little bit um, uh, closer to home in terms of us. Um, you're a HCSA member. Um, I'm just wondering what what you take away from being a member of the HCSA and what, what you feel the importance is of being a member of the HCSA and the job that's done there. I think the HCSA is, an, is, is fundamental to my, my ability to keep my finger on the pulse, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I think there's some great stuff comes out of, of the HCSA. I, I do try and keep really on the tweets and the, 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 doc, you know, the, the LinkedIn articles that come out because I think it's a really quick way of me catching up. And learning what's current in the market, what's where people's feelings are, who's where the pressures are, 
what's coming down the track, what we've learned from things. So I get a really a lot out of the HCSA because it's my go-to place to find anything out. And if I don't, if it's not visible in the marketplace, I know who to go to to find out. So that for me, it's a library of, of valuable mm-hmm. learning experiences and lessons. And there's some great people in there to tap into to get the learnings and information that I will require from time to time. Are you looking to the virtu- looking forward to the virtual conference in November? Oh, absolutely. I'm just disappointed we can't do it face-to-face, but I think it's going to be a great experience, to be perfectly honest. Okay, I just wanted to, um, as we move on to uh, kind of you as a person, what you do to unwind, in the, which you usually do towards the end of the podcast, uh, one of the things that a little birdie told me, Rachel, is that... Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that... Um, is that I'll get you, were the, <laughs> you, were, you were the millionth runner in the I Great North the, Run? Yes, that yeah. uh, was a rather strange experience for me. Back in 2013, mm. I unfortunately lost my mom to an adverse surgery. Right, oh, okay. Procedure. So that's why I'm even more passionate about getting it right. Okay, that's yeah. and so, so and, and I decided to challenge myself and do something that was so out, far out of my comfort zone it was ridiculous. Running is not my bag. I'm not built like Mo Farah. I'm built for comfort. So Who is? Apart from, I think only Mo Farah's built like Mo Farah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I decided to run in 2013 and then I entered again in the 2014 event and crossed the line and chaos ensued. I had no clue what was going on. It was just chaos. And then the next thing Where's Tracy? And they corralled a lot of people away at the finish line. I was one of them. And it was, who's, which one of you is Tracy? That's me. It would be me. <laughs> and I was taken up to the podium to meet Jonathan Edwards, Sebastian Coe and Brendan, Brendan Foster. Wow. And uh, was told I was the millionth finisher. And I said, oh, okay, what does that mean, really? And then it, it, the millionth finisher is the first millionth mass entry runner to cross the finish line across the world yeah now that would have happened at the new york marathon had the boston bombings not taken place okay all right that millionth runner would have come across the line at the new york marathon wow but the new york marathon was cancelled yeah so the next mass entry race was the great north run with over fifty-seven thousand runners so there's my claim to fame. So they, so they would have been waiting by the finishing line, because obviously they don't know who's necessarily going to finish, do they? They can't just do it in the places. <laughs> so, so they would have been waiting there with a the little like clicker, presumably, getting all nervous it was it, once well, they, they got trip, to... Yeah, they had a trip meter going across the, mm. the finish line, not that I take, took any notice, because when you get to the, the point one of your 13.1 miles, mm. Your brain is almost shutting down. Your feet are on fire. Your body is almost shutting down in its entirety. It was blazing hot at the time. And it tripped over and there's this almighty bang and there was all this confetti blowing. And <laughs> I was like, just really confused. And I was, did you think you'd won? Did you, did, no. you think you'd won? did you think you'd somehow, oh, that's what I would have done. I would have thought I must have, must have won. I thought I saw thousands of people passing me. But... I just think you've got to think, I was thinking, how fast can I get my trainers off? My feet are burning. I'm really <laughs> tired right now. I could do with a drink, really. To be did you get a gift? Did you get a I gift? Got, I did. I got um, a pair of hand, one-off design Puma hand-stitched trainers. Oh, wow. 
And the designer of the trainers, it was quite funny. It was really funny. I was sat on the edge of the, this stage after doing almost two and a half hours of, of media and photographs and et cetera. The chap came across and he took my trainers off. I said, you don't want to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> he says, I do because I do believe these shoes are going to fit. And they were a perfect fit. And he was absolutely... He says it's a bit like a Cinderella story. I said, yeah. I don't feel much like Cinderella at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you keep them in a pl plastic or a glass box or something? I have a gold uh, satin lined box with them in. All oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I could show story. you if you like. <laughs> Go on. Go on. Then. Are they right next to you? Yeah, well, no, they're right here in my, in my tricks. I have uh, done the. Whoops, I did do the virtual Great North Run as well this year. I did you? Yes, with Claire Lomax. Lomas, MBE. She's the lady that um, is a paraplegic and she ran in the robotic suit at the London Marathon. Right. It did take her an awful yeah. long time. But this is the box. Oh, wow. That's wow, fantastic. What a great thing to have. These are the original trainers that are now yeah. quite tired yeah. but I they made me a second pair yeah. to one to run in and one to keep so that was my my badge that. that's brilliant and um, I will show you my medal and that is my medal excellent look at that that's what it means which, which way do I need to go that way yeah brilliant Anybody listening to this on the podcast, um, we will put images of that app so you can see what you get if you're the millionth runner. And there's my new ones. Very and nice. it's actually been, the date is on there as the 7th of the 9th, 2014. And it says on the front of the toe, it says one millionth finisher. And I also had the greatest of honours to follow in Brendan Foster's footsteps to fly to New Zealand to run the Round the Bays race from the Central Business District in Auckland to the seafront, which is a race that he was training for the Olympics. At the time he was training in New Zealand and they asked him to come and do the race on the day. And it's inspired him to create the Great North Run over yeah. 40 years ago now. Wow, fantastic, what an experience to have. Now. As we um, tie things up here, um, I'm going to hit you with the two questions that I ask everyone, and everyone's going to expect any answers to these to be related to, to running now. <laughs> but they, obviously, you know, I mean, you've got quite a good, you know, choice, I suppose. But uh, the two questions we end up, we, we end off with are, um, if you could only listen to one album or song, if that's easier, for the rest of your life, just one, what would it be? And if you could only watch one film for the rest of your life, you're only allowed one film that you can watch, uh, what would it be? The album I would listen to for the rest of my life is because I've been in love with this man for longer than I can care to remember, would be Elvis Presley's Greatest Hits. Okay, yep. I'm a massive fan of, of Elvis mm -hmm. Presley. And if I was to choose a movie to watch, only because I absolutely adore it, I love the story, it's so inspirational and it always makes me cry, would be Beaches with Bette Midler. I think it's, okay. it's an amazing story of, of friendship, of gifting something to somebody and patient care. That must be... Yeah, it's it, just, it, it all knits together perfectly. Yes. Like we've come full circle. 
And you've just given us the perfect end to the podcast there. Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for joining me today, thank Tracy. You. Thank you for your time. That's been fantastic. And uh, to listening, whenever you're listening, whenever you're, whether you're in the car listening to this, the way I'm from work, or, you know, some people are downloading it at seven in the morning and some people are downloading it at midnight. So whenever you listen to it, thank you for listening. And I hope you tune in uh, next time to the next episode of Supplycast. Thank you. Bye.